Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey, welcome everybody to Training with Casey, and I'm your host, Casey Covert. And tonight I'm joined by our producer, Joseph Laughlin. How are you, Joseph? Woo! Yeah, really. Hold the applause, everyone. Hold the applause. Okay, I'm doing great. Hold the applause. <laughs> well, no, don't tell them that. Please do applaud, everybody. Okay, so Joseph, just a little um, news update. How did you survive the horrendous rainstorms that you've been having in California? Well, I'm still here. You are still here. Were you affected by it? Did you have a lot of flooding in your area? No. Were the animals at the zoos and parks that you work with, were they okay? Yes. Did you see any complications? No. Wow. How lucky. How lucky. Because I know people that they were afraid their entire hill that they lived on was going to wash away. Oh, no. That would be a complication. So let's go on to something you suggested. Uh, You're aware of SeaWorld before a lot of changes were made to the way that the killer whales and so, well, all the animals, right, were trained and presented at SeaWorld and at many other parks and oceanariums. And I don't know how I feel about the whole movement, but we went from these amazing, dramatic, acrobatic shows with orcas and dolphins to situations where the trainers were not even allowed in the water with the animals. And it was like overnight, these parks felt like they had to somehow justify their existence by being solely informational. Or do you think I'm too harsh? How would you describe what happened? Like it was a change to where they were like, okay, you need to do this. You can't have fun. Like you can't, you can't go in with the animals. There's no water work. It can't be um, just humorous, and it can't be theatrical. It has to be what, like a documentary. Uh-huh. And there's lots of stuff of showing animals in the wild. The last one I noted. Versus, you know, like big pictures behind the whales. Are you seeing that? Or what are you seeing when you go to those shows? So let me take our viewers back to December of last year. So there was a little announcement that I had seen on Facebook saying 
Oh, hey, surprise, we're bringing our, we're bringing some Christmas shows to some of the animal areas. And then, like, mid-season, the shows just disappeared because of corporate. Now, is this at SeaWorld or another park? This was at mm -hmm. SeaWorld? Hmm. And, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that it was a bad thing that they did. I'm just saying that um, a change. It was a change, and I'm like, wait a minute! I was kind of looking forward to seeing those shows while they were around this season. Yeah, season. like it's part of the celebration. Do you think it had to do with the fact that not everybody believes in Christmas? You know, like you have different faiths and so on. Do you think it was related to that? Or do you think, what do you think caused it? Or do you know? Like, why wouldn't they do their Christmas shows? Honestly, I don't know, because like, at the end of each presentation, they had a announcement saying, Happy Holidays from our family to yours. So that's not Christmas. That's Happy Holidays. And I don't have a big opinion on that. You know, I tend to say Happy Holidays to my friends because I don't want to leave their celebration out or whatever. I'm kind of the more the merrier mentality. I would be happy to celebrate Kwanzaa and Hanukkah and Christmas. And I really think we should extend to the European tradition of Boxing Day. And come on, let's go ahead and go to the Epiphany, which I think is January 6th, All Kings Day. I mean, Christmas is over before you even get ready for it. Like if you get off for Christmas vacation and you finally get everything ready for Christmas and then the instant Christmas is over, like after you wash the last dish, all the music disappears and, you know, there's like no more celebration. Hey, it's still Christmas. It's still the middle of winter. Let's prolong the celebration for all of them. We need uh -huh. more to celebrate. So that's my opinion on it. But getting back to the shows, what do you think is better about what they're doing right now? And what do you think is worse? I would say having more like information in the shows now or in the presentations now that they're doing versus like when they were first starting out and more examples to back their research up but i would say one of the worst things is is when people start getting up and leaving because there's just not it's not compelling enough to keep them I don't know. I'm like, just sit down. 
Wait till the very end. Well, I'm sad to tell you, but people are often like that. They're so focused on the next thing that they don't fully engage with the thing they're at. But one of the things that parks can do to diminish that is have something like a docent come out and specifically offer to answer questions or do a drawing or, you know, something like that so that there's a reason to stay till the end. And here's another thing. We need more engagement with the animals. You know, one of the problems with just seeing documentaries or um, thinking about the animals in the wild or even seeing them in the wild is you don't get to actually know them. They, that you don't know them personally. You don't, they don't really impact your life in a direct way. Would you agree with me that every single person who has ever worked with a marine mammal in managed care is indelibly affected by mm-hmm. that experience and that relationship? Yes. You and I are both passionate about our interaction with animals, our being humans and animals, and the importance that it's not just important for us, it's beneficial for us, and it teaches us about so many aspects of life, the vastness, the complexity, the amazing variations, how to work with these animals, how to take care of them, how to help them. For example, they're all missing a gene that is required to break down pollutants that they're being exposed to in the ocean. And scientists predict that by the turn of the century, if we cannot somehow either clean up the oceans and probably stop climate change because that's causing the acidification of the oceans and so forth. But we have to clean up the oceans and or find a gene treatment that we could somehow get out to all of these wild animals. And you know where they're studying this stuff? In the ocean areas. And you know where we'll be able to test the tools and the interventions that we develop and discover in the ocean areas. It is by working directly with these animals that we may be able to save the rest of them. I have a hard time with how limited the perspective is of how of so many people. So, for example, I know, right? Thank you, Blackfish. Thank you, Peta. Yeah, well, and it's like read. Not trying to give them any airtime, but come on. Why did read the fine print, everybody? Why did they come right out and say that um, animals are better off dead than with people? I sure wouldn't want them speaking for me. And I don't think, I know animals don't feel that way because 
For example, if you watch my videos, almost all of it is at liberty. Even if it's at a zoo, the animal could be doing anything it wants to do. It doesn't have to be there talking to me. It chooses to talk to me. And if you see the videos of my dogs or my horses or EG, you know, all the zoo animals, they don't have to be there. There is no lead attached. My it's otters. Not like, it's not like, it's not like the, the keepers or anyone at SeaWorld are keeping the animals there. There's nothing keeping them there. They can split like that. That's right. They could leave the show if they didn't want to do it. And here's another thing. Like people are all about, oh, well, it's not enough room for them and so on. Well, I know a bunch of people that live in New York City and love it. And they have like about as much room as I have in my kitchen or even my bathroom. Like they'll take a single studio apartment and they'll carve it into pieces and they'll make little wooden dividers across a studio apartment that's maybe you know, like 500 to 800 feet. And they'll carve that into two or three or four different rooms for people. And then they all share the, the bathroom and the kitchen. And they're paying a lot of money for that. My niece was paying, I think, about $1,000 a month. And do you think that she felt sorry for herself? How about an astronaut? How much space does an astronaut have? And I'll bet you he would not trade that little tiny space he has for any amount of money. Because I don't know how you feel about it, Joseph, but if I had unlimited money, I would buy exactly the life that I created for myself. The adventures that I have lived through are exactly what I dreamed about living with. And so if I had millions of dollars, I would have tried to buy those adventures. And sometimes they were uncomfortable. Sometimes I was in a little boat or a long car drive or a little plane seat, or a little tiny apartment, or a capsule in the Paris airport. And I loved every minute of it. So what people are stuck on, which is so unfortunate, is they're looking at the environment, but that animal's world exists in his own head. It's not about how much space he has or how luxurious it is. It's about, is he with other beings that he likes and resonates with? Does he feel comfortable and secure and supported? Are they doing interesting, worthwhile, fun things? Does he feel like he's spending his life in a good way. An animal needs enough stress, like we all do, for life to be interesting and exciting and enough calm security that they can sleep well at night. Shall and we I, bring up Keiko? 
the killer whale from Free Willy. <laughs> oh, gosh, that is such a travesty. You mean about how these people uh, demanded that he be released into very, very cold water where he did not have a group or a territory? Tell me more. Yeah, and then, and then, and then after that, he, after that, they, like, just left him out there, and they're like, okay, bye-bye, see you later, shove off into the sun. And he was literally starving to death, and they did not, as and I there's recall. No, there's no evidence that he ate fish when he was on his way to Norway. And didn't they run out of money to feed him? Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? Sounds about accurate. I uh, listened to a presentation by the author, and I didn't research this ahead of time because I wasn't thinking that we were going to talk about this. But what was the name of the book? Killing Keiko. Killing Keiko. So the movie that Keiko was collected for was Free Willy. What an irony. Mm, and right. They then, gosh, it was like abandoning Keiko. He was losing weight. He was terrified of the other orcas. He never got his weight up. I mean, it was just very, very sad. The fact that your intention is to, quote unquote, free an animal, the fact that you had good intentions does not relieve you of the burden of guilt for making horrific decisions that cause suffering and pain. And the thing that I cannot understand is when we show that these animals want to be there. Like, remember the Katrina dolphins? They all got washed to sea. Mm -hmm. And they were going up to boats, jumping around. And so on, like, look, it's us. And the their, their trainers went out looking for them. And when they saw them, the dolphins were like, yes, here, here. And they're jumping and doing all these behaviors. Like, look, it's definitely us. You know us. And two, they treated the dolphins and they fed them. And then the uh, at the time, the owner was not prepared to rebuild uh, the oceanarium there. And so he interviewed people, places all over the world to see where they could go to live their lives happily together and in protection. And I believe they went to the Atlantis in the Bahamas. But in order to get there, these dolphins that um, marine animal productions, where they were from, did mobile shows. They would take portable pools and so on and set up at fairs and, you know, in city parks and so on all over the country and maybe the world. I don't know. But anyway... So these dolphins knew all about traveling. 
getting in a van or getting in an airplane and going someplace. And then you were going to get, you know, end up someplace else in a new pool and everything else. So in order to get these dolphins to the Bahamas, they brought the slings out. The slings are carriers that the dolphins could uh, beach themselves. They come out of the water onto a deck and hump along until they got into these slings. They put their flippers through the little arm holes or pectoral flipper holes. And then these slings would be hoisted into a boat and then the animals were taken to an airplane or a boat or however it is that they were actually taken to the Bahamas. In other words, they were not caught. They were not captured. They were given the opportunity to come back into managed care and every single one of them chose it. What is so hard for these extremists to get that these animals are valuing their life with us just like we value our life with them. And it's like, uh, there's only one answer for it. And that is that somebody's projections, that the way they want to see the world, the way they think the animals are thinking is more important to them than the reality. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to get my phone here and I'm going to start posting it on Facebook. I am now going to save the whales. Yeah. And how about the one in New Zealand that first of all was, you know, so harsh on all the places that had um, orcas in managed care and then goes up off the coast of Norway where um, she got permission to bring eco tours in to see the orcas that she planned to keep in sea pens which was illegal every place else. You couldn't do that in the U.S. You couldn't do it in New Zealand. And she's all against people keeping orcas in managed care unless it happens to be her doing it. And let's talk about sea pens. Do you have any problems with sea pens? It's another form of managed care. What are special risks associated with C-pins? Pathogens. Yes. Like red tide, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot protect an animal from red tide in a C-pen. Now, another thing is that it's not well thought out. Some of the storms that we have, a sea pen would end up shredding the animal. Shredding it, it would be like putting an animal on a grater. It isn't safe. And I know in times in the past, there have been situations 
where SeaWorld moved animals inland, haven't they? I don't know. I'll have to look that up, but I'm pretty sure that they have. And certainly if they're stranded animals and so on, those animals are moved inland, you know, to places where they can, they're larger. Well, just look at the location of um, Orlando SeaWorld. They have a beautiful SeaWorld on Mission, on Mission Bay, which is very close to the water. But you That's have San Diego. <laughs> what did I say? You said Orlando. Good job. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm talking about Mission Bay. Why didn't they build the next one, let's say, in Miami? Why did they build it in Orlando? Because we have horrific hurricanes that are very hard to protect the animals from. It's easier when the facility is inland because the winds tend to drop as they go over the land. Okay, so let's get back to the dang shows. I think that we need to use every tool that we have to engage people with animals and with our mission. And our mission is to advocate for animals, their wild environments, and their partnership with people. Are we on the same page with that? Or yes. what would you add? You want to add anything to that? I'd say we're on the same page there. Okay, so some people like to watch documentaries. I'm one. I watch all kinds of documentaries every day, but not everybody does. There might be a 12-year-old boy that wants to be on a skateboard, but when he sees that orca pick up the trainer at 22 feet deep and rock it out of the pool, and the trainer jettisons off the rostrum of the whale and does a backward flip, and they both meet again underwater, and the trainer comes up on the back of the orca, that just might captivate that young boy in a way that a documentary led by even Sir David Attenborough never would. Right. And some people just want to laugh. Some people just want to see the animals presented in an education, in an entertaining way. Mm -hmm. And yet, if we can get to those people, we can gradually help them to develop to a larger view of these animals and how important it is to take care of them and to address their needs and to support their wild, you know, members that are, that are not in managed care. Mm -hmm. I don't and I'm know. not saying, I'm not trying to say that the documentary styles are bad. I'm just saying, have a, throw something in the mix. Throw yeah. some of that fun in the mix. Yeah. Don't just tie an arm behind your back. We should use humor. We should use drama. We should use um, action. We should use uh, everything we have. You know, definitely education. Now, 
since SeaWorld, wh what's happened with the Carl Hubbs Institute? Do you have any idea? I'm going to look it up. Do you even know, know they, about it, Joseph? I know they recently celebrated like 60 years or something. 50. Okay. Fifty, sixty, so, something like that. Well, I will be thrilled if that is still in operation. Because the last time I looked, I didn't find it. But it could be, you know, how you can use the same search words and one day you can find it and the next day you can't. We'll both look. <laughs> Okay, I have something very sad to tell you, and that is I'm looking it up on Google and I don't find it. I I had trouble finding it before. That is sad. They did so much research and they did research on stuff that I was, mean there is there is this uh Hub SeaWorld Research Institute. I'm not sure if we're also talking about that. Okay. All right. So maybe I'm remembering the name differently, or maybe they changed it. So what did you call it? The Hubs? SeaWorld Research Institute. Oh, I'm so relieved. Yeah, it's here. It only has three Google reviews, but they're all fives. That's a good thing. Yeah. Okay. So if you look at the research that this institute has done and funded and underwritten, it is amazing. And they study things that have no financial return for anybody else. Like, uh, what is the melt composition for a hooded seal? For example, I don't know if they did that one. Uh, one of the guys I work with in the zoo worked on that. But they provided that funding and, you know, conducted research like that. Not just... How can we get whales to work longer? I never saw any research like that. You know, it was all about how can we support the animals? What do they do in the wild? It was really giving back to the animals and to the environment. I was really impressed with that. Have you looked into what they do? Here and there. I forget how I got to their list of papers or publications. Do you see any ask, ask, uh, link to do that? There's sign up for newsletters, news and events. Ooh, let's do that. This is good. We should have done this a long time ago. Why haven't we? 
Good question. Yeah, all right. So let's see if we can find their papers. Anyway, um, we used to go out and I didn't do the kinds of things. I never did theatrical shows. And as a matter of fact, I did almost all um, training demo shows. So not when I worked for like uh, Mystic Marine Life Aquarium, that was a scripted show. And I saw from working there that the shows were very good and people loved them, but they got boring to the animals. And they also were asking the animal to do some very rigorous behaviors many, many times a day. And so I felt like that wasn't the best way to keep the animals engaged. When I was at National Zoo, I would just come out and share the animals with the people. And they would do all these different behaviors and we would set up jokes and tell funny stories. I remember one time Maureen pushed me in the water. Fortunately, I was talking without a microphone that day and she came up behind me and just hit me right behind the knees and I kind of collapsed into the water and I didn't want to let her know that she'd gotten the better of me. So I just, you know, elegantly uh, side-stroked out to an island, got out on the island and finished the show and Maureen came out and, you know, finished with me. But it's like, we would do all kinds of things that were games, but then we would tell the people how that was related for, to practical things. For example, when a sea lion balances a Barbie doll on his nose, is that a natural behavior? Probably not. But the ability to balance something on his nose is natural behavior. And it's directly related to his ability to catch fish. And the vibrissae on the seals and sea lions can be used to actually sense what the animal needs to sense in order to maintain that balance. Now, here's something. Did you know that uh, seal vibrissae are different then sea lion vibrissae. Vibrissae is another word for sea lion whiskers. Okay, guys? I did not know that. Um, so, they were different. Yes. The seal vibrissae are, uh, they're, they're like helical. They're spiraled. They look like one of those plastic broom straws that if you look at them straight on, they they get thicker, narrow, thick, narrow, thick, narrow. And when the seals are out of the water, they will dry and curl. And somebody did research on it to see what did these vibrissae do for the seal. And what they found is that if they cut the vibrissae out, the seal could not catch fish for a couple of days. And then they were able to compensate or they're missing whiskers or the whiskers grew in enough that they could sense the stuff again. But anyway, the silly Barbie doll balance 
behavior is a good demonstration or a dramatic demonstration of this incredible ability that sea lions have. And seals are just as good at catching fish, but they're built differently and they cannot balance something exactly the same way a sea lion does. Interesting. Yeah, it's all fascinating. And another thing you can do when training is you reveal the personality to the people. Like uh, Maureen was such a little jokester. I told you about her pushing me into the water. One time I was sitting on the rock work at the National Zoo and I had my hand on Maureen's shoulder while I talked to people about various things. And it happened to be breeding season. And I was telling the people all about the sea lion breeding season and how they had the pups and they would change their fur and breed and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden Maureen comes up behind me and she puts a flipper on each side of my waist and starts blowing into my ear. And she's blowing into my ear so hard that my hair is going up and down with each breath. And the whole, the whole audience just started to laugh and laugh and laugh. And I turned around and I looked at Maureen and I looked at the audience and I go, I have never seen this sea lion before in my life, which obviously I had, but I was just kidding them. We all had a great time and Maureen was having a good time. Somehow she got it. She got our sense of humor. She would do funny things. And the people would respond directly to that. They would laugh in response to what she did. You think they don't figure that out? All of these animals figure that out. And a lot of them love playing with their audience. I know that dolphins just eat that up. Okay, so what direction do you think that SeaWorld and other oceanariums should go? Like, how can they get through to these people that have been brainwashed by these uh, terrible ads that are put up by various of these, you know, activist groups with their extreme agendas to remove all animals from contact with people. And so they go to a foreign country and they videotape a dog that looks like it had a thousand puppies. And then they talk about how this poor dog, he will not even live unless you give money to their charity, notwithstanding the fact that their charity kills most of the animals that it that are released to it. And people don't even read the fact that these, these groups that they're giving to believe that animals are better off dead than with people. That these groups, some of these um, groups have been indicated, well, not indicated, they've been convicted of stealing animals from people that were on their own property, taking animals and killing them. 
that they got from veterinarians or um, shelters after assuring the people that they were going to take them and place them in a home. And instead, they just go euthanize them and dump them. And these are matters of public records. It's really disturbing. So we've got a problem. We've got these extremist groups. And these extremist groups made a strategy of going right to the top, to the most powerful institutions and wiping them out. And then everybody else could fall like dominoes. Mm -hmm. But people are not doing due diligence. They're not researching these complex situations. They don't know about the deeper agendas of all these uh, different groups. They don't know about the fact that every single zoo is helping to support major conservation efforts in the wild. That's part of their accreditation. They have to be supporting wild animals at the same time. And instead of celebrating that and helping with that, these people are easily talked into thinking that the zoos and the ocean areas and the people that have devoted their entire lives to these animals are not trustworthy, are ill-intentioned, don't know what they're doing, and that these animals are poor little victims. And it doesn't matter to them that we tell them, hey, these animals that get out are coming back. Like my otters, I didn't even know they got out. And they'd been getting out for years. And finally, I saw them out. But I saw them out. And by the time I got back to their exhibit, they were inside again going, hey, Casey, what are we going to do now? Yeah, they were, they like to be out, but they also like to be in. <laughs> I can just imagine that. Casey, what are we doing now? That's exactly that. They, they weren't small clawed otters, so they were calmer than that. But kind of like just looking up at me, I'll never forget Max. And when you gave Max a piece of fish to eat or something, he'd be like, Chomping away like, I don't know, like he had a jawbreaker or something. And he just, you know, would sit there and look at you and uh, we'd play games with them. We'd teach them all about all the stuff. Like one of the things we did with otters is taught them to go through these doors that we made that had um, kind of like star shapes. They were rubber sheets and they had two of them in a door frame and we taught the otters to go through them on request and this would help them shed the water off their fur because they had an underground den that was you know as similar as we could make it to the way wild otters would live but it did have higher humidity just like it would in the wild and you're probably already aware of this, but there is 
a risk to all these different marine mammals for things like histoplasmosis, which is something that's similar to tuberculosis, kind of somewhere between a bacteria and a fungus. And so, you know, we taught them things to make their life better and so on, as well as things that we could show to the audiences and, you know, help these animals be good ambassadors. Do you feel like the animals you work with, like the capybaras and whoever else you work with, that they get it that they're ambassadors between their kind and the visitors? Yes. I absolutely agree. And I have some very specific reasons that I think that, but why do you think that? And I'm also looking at it from a visitor standpoint when I'm at SeaWorld or at yeah, any zoo. Yeah. The animals will do things and then like if it's not something that they were asked to do, then people are like, all excited to see what's going to happen next. Yeah. I was at SeaWorld San Diego walking along and all of a sudden a dolphin <laughs> threw a piece of seaweed at me and it landed like on the side of my face and I grabbed it and I looked at the sea lion and I, no, I'm sorry, not sea lion, dolphin and the dolphins, you know, sitting upright in the water and doing his flippers and I tossed it back to him and he tossed it back like a like it was a tennis game and I mean he caught it and he just immediately threw it back and I threw it back at him and he caught it and threw it back at me again I threw it back at him and then all of a sudden I realized oh I'll bet you they would be upset if they saw me it was the dolphin's idea not mine and he brought his own seaweed but, yeah, I thought they would probably be upset. So I said to this dolphin, thank you very much. I can't play anymore. My mother's calling. And I tossed him back his, sea his seaweed and then I left. But that's You're exactly like, oopsies. <laughs> yeah, like I, I'm thinking of it from SeaWorld's perspective, but the dolphin was directly engaging me. Now, why? I don't know. But it was a thrill. And we see this all the time. You know, kids will be at the underwater windows or the windows to the lion exhibit or whatever. And the animals, the gorillas, the, well, I don't know. You got to be a little suspicious when it's the polar bear or the lion, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a little kid and they want to play. But anyway, they come up and they engage these kids directly. Beluga whales that'll sit there and focus their melon and, blow bubbles right at children that are looking at them under the window. They'll go upside down. They'll do things to amuse just like an adult would. Oh my gosh. Did you see that amazing thing? There, there's a, a couple of them that show the incredible empathy between the people and the animals. You know what? That's another podcast we should do. I'll write it down. Empathy. Okay. 
where um do you do you remember the one about the pregnant woman and she had to tell uh the chimpanzee i think that she had a baby and her baby died we have to look these up because we should put them with the podcast we so should look them up we need to look them up and put them with the pie. Okay, guys, we'll get better. Okay, so long is short. I think we need theatrical shows. We need dramatic shows. We need documentaries. We need research. We need citizen science. We need a combination of both. We need every tool that we can have because there like is... We can, have, we can have the type of shows that they're doing, or presentations that they're doing, and on top of that, having theatrical shows. Yeah, because what do you think the whales thought when the people no longer got in the water with them? They wanted their behaviors slash trainers in the water with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean... That robbed them of so much. Those shows, those those orcas are so athletic. And what they did was so amazing. And the audience was so amazed. And their relationship with the people, it wasn't like a, you know, like a master-servant relationship. It was like dancing partners. Mm-hmm. And things just flowed. It was usually seamless. And all of a sudden, that stopped. Never to start again. It's like for these artificial reasons that were imposed by people with an agenda of extremism, that do not want to see people with animals. And all of a sudden these whales were deprived of this level of relationship and accomplishment. It's just, I mean, do they still even do the aerial behaviors? Yes. Just not with the trainers in the water. Yeah, I would imagine that they would grieve. I know that horses, that, you know, their owners do all these different things with them. There's this one horse in particular, and her owner is just so creative. So not only did she do some dressage and some jumping and all this stuff, but they started doing archery, where the horse just runs in a line and her owner shoots arrows off of her back. And I saw her one day when she got released back into the field and she was just cavorting around like, I am so good. I am so good. She loved it. And she loved her life. I still know this horse. And it's really wonderful to see. But she does not feel like she's being exploited. She feels like she's a partner in an adventure. Well, I hope. Joseph, that people that listen to this open their ears and open their hearts 
and look at their relationship with their own kids. Because it's the same kind of situation. As a parent, you know, it shouldn't, it isn't, it shouldn't be a matter of ego or control that you rear your kids in the very best way that you can and you prepare them for everything that you can and you open every opportunity that you can to these children because you are their steward and guardian. And that is how it should be. We should all watch out for one another. And that's another thing that people are not able to see and to an extent not experience like they did. And that is that mutual care because the animals I have worked with have taken care of me. They have helped me when I had problems. At National Zoo, it was crazy. The pool level was down, we were doing a repair and the polar bear keeper came up to help me do this work that we had to do in this pool while it was down. And she said, I, I don't even want to work here today. Why not? Last night, I had a nightmare. And in that nightmare, I was sliding down into the pool. Like she was standing on the side and she started sliding. And Gunnar came and grabbed her by the leg and mangled her and I ever practical said you work with polar bears why in the world are you bothering to have a nightmare about a seal <laughs> so we started to do the work and we had a, a thing that she was letting herself down to the side of the pool it was tied to a fence so I was going to go next and all of a sudden she started slipping down the side of the pool just like she had described in her nightmare. And in my left peripheral vision at the far side, I see Gunnar, the male gray seal, winding up his flippers to dash to this side. And I knew Gunnar was not like that. He was not going to be predatory toward her. And her face was so stricken with fear. And I said, just stay with me. Just stay with me. It'll be okay. Just stay with me. I'm trying to get something to let down to her to pull her back up. And by that time, Gunnar is there and he's right behind her. And he puts his nose to her foot. And I'm like, just stay with me. Just stay with me. And I'm not, I don't know. Is he going to open his mouth and bite her foot? Is he going to grab her and pull her back in? What he did is push her foot up the side of the pool so she could step right back out onto the beach. And then he subsided and just looked at her like, really? Do you think you compare well to a mackerel? And that was the end of that. She had a premonition that came true but not in exactly the way she expected. But if you don't have a relationship of these, with these animals, that isn't the way it will play out. Well, Joseph, let's do this again soon because this is so important. And folks, like talk to us. 
Leave us comments. Tell us what you think. And seriously, read the fine print. And let us know for putting you to bed, too. (laughs) Have we done that again? I don't know. Have we done it again? I don't know. All right, everybody. Thank you, Joseph. It's been fun. Take care, everyone. And thanks for sharing some of your time with us. See you next time. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.